Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Well, you could help me out. You know what? I've got my head. Uh, it's the most wonderful time of the year. Have you got that? It's, thank you. I've been practicing all week. But is it? Is it? Yes, I know Harper for you. And for my little ones, it is. And for anyone under the age of 18, of course it is. But then we grow up and we become adults. And this will happen, Harper, in due course. You'll find this out. Uh, that when we grow up, we adults kind of get stuck at this time of year, don't we? That on one hand, we know that it should be the most wonderful time of the year. It's Christmas after all. It's that season. And yet, on the other side of things, there's just stuff. You know, the stuff that happens at Christmas. You know that stuff that you've kind of been burying with that person or that family member. You know that stuff that you've been trying to forget about all year. You know that stuff that happened and you don't kind of talk about, but it kind of surfaces because it's Christmas and I'm supposed to be civil, and it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year. Anyone feeling me? Have you noticed this? That it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of year, and yet there's this stuff. You know, if I asked you what your stuff is, you would say, well, Sam, it's complicated. It's complicated. Not really. It's just uncomfortable. I think we make it more complicated than we think, and that's what we'll see today, is it's not really that complicated. You're going to know what you need to do. It's just uncomfortable to do what you know that you need to do. <laughs> for, um, for me, whenever I get to this time of year, I'm painfully aware of all of the complicated and uncomfortable comfortable stuff that's going in my life with people and with my family. I've got family just like you and I would say that my family is not necessarily perfect, unlike yours, of course. So I don't know, I'm just wondering, just so I don't feel like I'm alone here, but got any uncomfortable or complicated going on this Christmas? Because for me, I, I kind of start to realize at this time of year that Christmas is always that time of year when there are problems we can't solve and there are people that we can't control and there are expectations that we can't meet. Amen? We start to realize, and you've been trying to do this, you've been trying to solve that problem that's been going on for five years or 10 years or 15 years. Every time Christmas rolls around, it's a reminder that you can't control people, that you haven't met someone's expectation, that you can't solve the problems that are going on, not only in your world, but the world. And no matter how well you rap, no matter how calmly you say, no matter how much you do, no matter how much you try to stitch up, there's still the stuff right? And then even worse, when I get to Christmas, I start to realize that I'm a problem that I can't solve and that I'm a person that I can't control and that I might just have expectations on people that they can't quite meet. Now, before all of this feels too disheartening, I don't want to wreck the mood for Christmas, particularly we've got children in the room, all right? <laughs> okay? 
I want to talk over the next few weeks and reminder there'll be no AM service on the 10th of December here at Crow's Nest. There's church next week on the 3rd, not at the 10th because we've got our Christmas spectacular happening. But over the next couple of weeks, I want to talk about the reason for the season because there, there is an event that happens here at Christmas that if we take it seriously and if we stop to think about it beyond what we tend to do as Christians where it's just, yep, we get it, yep, God, God, yep, human, Jesus, baby, born, yep. If we take that to our hearts, it gives us the power to move beyond uncomfortable and complicated. It's an event that shows us that we can remove our excuses not to move in that direction of complicated and uncomfortable. And so that's the reason for the season. And we get that phrase from these sort of bumper stickers, right? It's kind of like that. It's the, it's the bumper sticker version of Christmas, isn't it? Uh, I, I, I can't say that I've nef- necessarily seen many of these going around in Crow's Nest. And the good news is we've printed a whole bunch for you this morning so you can <laughs> stick it to the back of your car. There we go. <laughs> jokes, jokes. I know, so I will print it out for those that are excited and want to do it. And I like that. And I commend that. And I'm all for this type of sentiment, right? I'm getting that. It's kind of the let's bring Christ back into Christmas mentality. Let's, let's get away from just the cultural craziness of consumerism that we've seen this weekend and we've all been caught up in, if I'm willing to admit it, in the Black Friday sales, right? The, it's, it's, I like the sentiment, but I don't think if Jesus is to be taken seriously for who he is and what he says and what the scriptures say, the word of God says about the reason for the season, I, I, and I don't want to sound sacrilegious here, but I don't think it's so much that Jesus is the reason for the season. I think the reason for the season is us. We are the reason for the season. And before this sounds self-centered, hear me out here. (laughs) If we weren't such a mess, if I was not such a mess, then there was no reason for Jesus to come. This logic makes sense? That the whole reason that there was a Christ in Christmas, the whole reason that God was with us is because we were such a mess. My kids understand this. I asked him in the car this morning. I just wrote, I, I wrote test all my messages with my kids, by the way. It's for your benefit. If I can't explain this to the kids and if they don't understand it, you're not going to understand it. Now, that is not an assault on your intellect, by the way. More a reflection of how well I communicate. <laughs> but I asked them this question. I said to them, how do you know when you guys are really in trouble? And in an instant, Zach said to me, yeah, I know that. It's when you and mum have to come downstairs. <laughs> We've got a two-story house. And he knows, like, there's kind of a level of fighting. Did you have this with your siblings? A level of fighting that you could kind of work out yourselves. There's a bit of a sting. There's a bit of a nudge. There's a bit of negotiation. That's fine. But the level of fighting that you can't solve yourselves, that's when you're in real trouble, when dad has to come downstairs. Right? And as parents, didn't we always used to do the extra stomp down the stairs just to let them know that it was happening? <laughs> you know, there's a scripture that says, Matthew 1, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. The message of Christmas is, we're in so much trouble, God had to come downstairs. To which some of you say, what? What are you talking about? My life's not a mess. My life's fine. I've got my life under control. What are you talking about? Your life is the one that's the mess. Hey, my life's fine. I'm doing well. I'm doing very well. Look, if, if we're willing to push ourselves 
hard enough, we can realize even on the simple issues, you know, dieting and career choice and friendship choice, all the things, even we can't get those sorts of things right in our own lives. We are a bit of a mess, let alone all the relational stuff that goes in around us and then, of course, with all that we are seeing in the world at the moment. Of course we know, whether you're a Christian or not, that the world's a mess. And so at Christmas, we celebrate God drawing near to this messiness. It's not so much God with us, but God is with us. And what's really important, what's really important in the Scriptures is you've got to understand that whenever a character, a person in the Scriptures is given a nickname, it, it hints at the future purposes of God through that person. Remember Jacob, uh, way back, has a wrestle with God and then he's called Israel. It means one who has wrestled with God. And the classic example of this that you see is a guy called Simon, Reedy, one who sways in the wind. That's what his name meant. And Jesus looks at him and says, no, 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 I'm going to call you Peter, Petros. I'm going to call you Rock, Rocky. And he becomes the foundation of the movement that is Christianity. And so nicknames are an important thing in the Bible. And so when Jesus Christ, this little baby, is nicknamed God with us, Emmanuel, it shows us the purposes of God in advance as to what he is going to do through this person. And so what's that mean for us this morning? Here's the reason for the season. If God came near, it removes our excuses from withdrawing from uncomfortable and complicated can I say that again? If God came near, it removes our excuses from moving away from uncomfortable and complicated. And that is the whole context into which God came. The world at the time of Jesus was not all kind of like, at Christmas we get this angelly sort of shepherds by night nativity scene on the top of a grassy hill. We think that the time of Jesus Christ that he was born into resembled some a rural, flowing setting with flowers and all the rest of it. And would it surprise you, and I'll push more into this next week, that the context that Jesus Christ was born into resembles a lot of what you see on your social media feeds in exactly the same places that you see on your social media feeds, with the same situations that you see in your social media feeds. And somehow this message of Christmas survived all of that uncomfortableness, that craziness, that horror. And this guy, John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you've heard that in the Gospels. I always talk about these like this John, not the Apostle John or Saint John. John, John the person, John. John the ordinary guy that lived with Jesus. John the one that church tradition suggests uh, was there with Mary watching her son uh, bleed to death. John, the one that looked after Mary as church tradition has it for his entire life. John, the one that watched this message of Christianity spread across the world. John, the one that wrote this stuff down, not because he wanted to write a Bible. He never thought that. He thought, I'm just going to give you an eyewitness account of what I saw through this person. And it's that John that decides to start his story of Jesus, not with flowing hills and bleating lambs, and hay and straw. In fact, John starts like this. John starts with what he believed was the greater miracle. John 
begins for a very good reason. John begins speaking to a people who wanted a warrior king to solve these things out. John spoke to a people who wanted someone to come in and overthrow this oppressive force. And John speaks into this and says, this person is not going to come in with might, but somehow it's as if God smacked these two stones together and this little flint of spark went out and this little fragile flame started somewhere over in modern day Palestine and it's that flame that would go and sweep the world and it's that flame that he says is the light of the world and this is what he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we've seen his glory the glory of the one and only son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's biblical talk for dads come downstairs. <laughs> dads come downstairs. And the first thing we see from that passage, the first thing that we need to be reminded of, is that God has come near. Now, <laughs> side note, side note, and this is a whole other message. But if, if you are struggling with what you are seeing in the world at the moment... If you're asking, like, if God is so good, where is He? If you're asking, if God is so good, how does He let the sorts of atrocities that are happening in the Middle East happen? Uh, if God is so good, where is He in all of this? The short answer, not a 20-minute sermon, is He's amongst it. <laughs> he, he was, as my kids would say, bonded into it. I've got to ask you the question this morning, whether you're a person of faith or not, what sort of God subjects himself to the junk in the world the way that this God does? You can go do your comparative religions, but they don't talk of God himself. This is unique to Christianity, coming down and at least being willing to swallow his own medicine. He is with us. He's amongst us. Not only that, he stuck around and he, he didn't rush off. You know, John refers to all the people that followed Jesus around in his life. And he stayed with them. And it's not figurative, it's literal. Like they lived with him and Jesus lived and traveled and camped and dressed and laughed and wept shoulder to shoulder. There was no space, there was no privacy, there was no distance. He was with people. Jesus, God came near. Jesus was comfortable being amongst people. But here's the other thing. <laughs> People were comfortable being around him. Most people. You see where I'm going with this. I say most people. Because have, have you ever discovered this? But are people who were nothing like Jesus liked Jesus. Did you ever notice that when you read the stories? And Jesus liked pe being around people that were nothing like him. Verse 14 says, we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. There was plenty of truth in Jesus, but there was also plenty of grace. There was also a willingness. There was also a desire to move towards people that are uncomfortable and complicated. And if I'm willing to make a little confession, uh, I'm still working on that. I still struggle to, you know, I can do the thing out here and speak and I'm happy to I be out at arm's length, but um, when it comes to uncomfortable and complicated, I've still got to work on that. Don't know about you, I've got to work on that. 
And Jesus invites us into that process. Jesus, as Tommy said this morning, invites us to be where he is. And Jesus was with the complicated and the uncomfortable. And now, I said, by the way, that, um, that most people liked being around Jesus. Most. And can you have a guess who didn't like being around Jesus? It was the type of people that Jesus really didn't have much time for, he didn't have much patience for. And it was those people that we would describe as the self-righteous. And because Jesus discovered and we discovered that the self-righteous lacks self-awareness. Have you ever noticed that? That a self-righteous person is so caught up in their way of the world that they've just got no sense of what's going on around them. And Jesus didn't have much time for that. Uh, he didn't have much patience of that. And have you ever noticed this in the church over the years? Or have you noticed it amongst Christian friends? Is that we Christians can be guilty of getting so riled up with everyone else's sin in their lives without first looking at what is going on in our lives. <laughs> it's kind of more fun to poke holes at everyone else's sin and yet not deal with our own. And what's stranger still is, and what's even crazier still, is that Christians get, we get kind of angry and frustrated with people's sin in their lives, but the sort of people who never signed up to be a Jesus follower in the first place, and we give it to them. Jesus was full of grace and truth, grace and truth, grace and truth. The author Philip Yancey pointed out for us, he says, Christians get very angry toward other Christians who sin differently than they do. <laughs> amen and amen. <laughs> uh, now, here's where it interfaces for us this morning. Um, the birth of Jesus should make us painfully and dare I say shamefully and humbly self-aware and if we're in that much trouble it's to say look no matter how well I am doing on this journey I'm going to realize that my life is a bit of a mess and if my life is a bit of a mess then who am I to start getting up on my self-righteous high horse of poking holes in everyone else's idiosyncrasies and vulnerabilities and sin and the way that they're living their life, when I'm yet to look at the way that I live my own. We as Christians, right church, should wake up every day painfully aware that I am complicated and I am uncomfortable to God, but He first came near. And so on that basis, God says, you move towards uncomfortable and complicated. I don't know about you, but more often than not, my refusal to move towards uncomfortable and complicated, it's not because I can't, it's because I'm using things as an excuse. They did this to me. They said this. I'm right. <laughs> I'm in the right. But we should have no excuses. Christmas should remove the excuses. And here's why. And look, side note, I know this is tough. You know how I know this is tough? Church, we spent four weeks in this at the beginning of the year. If, if you want to know the answer to all of this, if you think that I'm just being cliched, please understand if you're a guest with us this morning, uh, lucky you, there is like two hours worth of preaching if you would like it for you in our series, The Dimensions of Forgiveness, that goes through what I'm saying in one sentence. So please don't think for a moment 
but I'm just saying a cliche here. This is Christianity 301. Are you with me, church? Okay. That forgiveness is always the first step. Movement is always just the first step in a process of reconciliation. You may not never, ever be back friends and lovey-dovey with a person in your life. That's not the point here. What we're saying is if there is uncomplicated, if there's complicated and uncomfortable, God says, you make the first move because the more that I'm aware of God's mercy and grace in my life and the fact that He moved towards me first, the more that I will have a willingness to move to some, towards someone else. Is this making sense? Do you move? <laughs> you move. And so if God in the form of Jesus came to be with us when it was complicated and uncomfortable, we lose our excuse to remain at a distance from complicated and uncomfortable. Simple as that. That's the message of Christians. See, you know, a Christian should be saying, you know what, if I'm a problem that can't be solved and if I'm a person that can't be controlled and if I'm putting all these expectations on everyone else and yet God still moved towards me, then I'm there to move towards other people. And so it begs the question this morning then, church, got any, I don't know, complicated and uncomfortable in your life this Christmas? Move, you move. You do something about it if you're a Jesus follower because Christmas is the reminder that even though there are problems that we can't solve and people we can't control and expectations that we can't meet, Christmas is the reminder that we can't use these things as an excuse to withdraw from people. And so I've got to ask you this morning, who, who could you do a better job at loving in spite of it being complicated and uncomfortable? Who is it in your life that is that person? We've all got them. Uh, this is the beauty of what God is doing in this space uh, because there is you know, a couple of hundred of us watch it in or we'll watch in in this over the next week. Maybe just maybe in, in a range of a couple of hundred different relationships and friendships and families and all the rest of it. God, through this message this morning, still comes to earth through this message and still pushes people into something a little bit better this Christmas. <laughs> to which you say... But I'm right. <laughs> and you know what? I, I know that you're right. I believe that you're right. I feel that you're right. God knows that you're right. I think the question you've got to ask yourself this morning is, to what extent are you using your rightness as an excuse not to move? God says you move and here's why in 1 John the same John that wrote what we heard from this morning as he went on after he wrote his first letter to the church writes another one and he says we love because he first loved us and so dear friends since God so loved us we also ought to love one another anyone need me to explain that <laughs> we just have for 20 minutes. It's pretty simple. God says, hey, you make the first move. The story of Christmas is the degree to which you and I see our own complicatedness and how uncomfortable it was for God to move towards us is the degree to which we will move towards other people. And so this Christmas, when you turn up to that table, when you move into that drinks function, 
uh, when you end up thinking about writing a card, when you turn up to that function and you see that other mess, the one that's causing the mess in your life, just remind yourself this Christmas that you both have something in common. And it's this, you both are the reason for the season. And so God says, if you're landlocked, you move. That's what I did. Emmanuel, God is with us. Let's pray. Father, I pray for each of us, and I know beyond these words and the cleverness of how they're supposedly said in this moment, Father, in this time of prayer, I understand the nuance, the difficulty, the gravity of our own hearts towards our own self-rightness. I've lived it and I need your help with it as much as everyone else this morning. That you would grant us, first and foremost, an awareness of the beauty and the wonder of your grace in our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit, in, a, in the right time, Lord, this is not a, a... There are relationships and there are situations that would just be unwise if we all ran out of here this afternoon and got on the phone. But at the same time, Lord, we don't want this season to go past without an opportunity for a whole church full of first movers. Because your Holy Spirit has brought an awareness of what it is that you've done in our lives. And as Tommy so wonderfully led us this morning, I, I want to continue to lead us into that awareness of where are you at work, Jesus? Where are you at work in our lives? Where do you want work to be done in our lives? And I'm praying that for each of us, there would be courageous, scary, humbling, faith-filled decisions of movement this Christmas. Protect our hearts in that process. And in so doing, I pray that true blessing would continue to flow through us into others, I pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.